Lord, thank you for your love and goodness. Please come and fill this place. Help us to dream with you about doing whatever it takes to win a lost soul for you. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a boy, I used to dream of finding buried treasure. I grew up in Pensacola, Florida, just several miles from the coast. Santa Rosa Island was out there. And I had dreams about going to the sand, the sand dunes, and shoveling away and hitting that treasure chest and breaking it open and there's all this gold bullion and striking it rich. I never did find it. I still haven't to this day, unfortunately. Treasure has driven men for centuries to grow in great quest for search of it. Take, for instance, the Spanish explorers, such as Hernan Cortez, who attacked the Aztecs to steal their gold. Then there's Hernando de Soto, who went to Florida searching for this lost treasure. Even Francisco Coronado, he literally almost tripped over the Grand Canyon in his search for gold. And what about the 49ers, 1849? Those guys that left their businesses, their families, they left everything to head west to strike it rich. More recently, Mel Fisher, that great uh, explorer that was looking for the sunken Spanish Galilean, the Atoka. For 18 years, he and his team searched off of the Florida Keys. Every morning, he would wake up. Boys, we're going to find it today. This is the day. Eighteen years clocked by. But one morning, they found it. And they found it good. <laughs> you see, Mel Fisher didn't mind investing a few million because he realized that that which he was searching for was worth far more than a few million. Judy and I have been to Key West we have seen the gold with our very eyes. We didn't get to touch it, but I got to see it. This morning, I want to talk about finding a hidden treasure. Something of much more value than the gold we've been referencing. Look at your passage for today. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking what? Beautiful or goodly pearls, depending on the translation you have. Who, when he found it, the one pearl of great price, went and sold how much? Sold all that he had and bought it. The pearl of great price. That word in the original language is polytimos, a compound word. Poly, many, much, great. Time is value, worth. This pearl was of great value. It's the same word found in John chapter 12, verse 3, when the, the woman, Mary, she gave away her life savings to purchase that little vial, that 
spikenard ointment that she anointed Christ's feet, feet with. It was, it was of great value, of great worth. When this merchant man found that pearl, how much, did, again, did he sell to secure it? All that he had. All that he had. I want to go back into antiquity just for a moment to help you understand the real value of pearls back then in Bible times. Back in antiquity, the pearl was more valuable than any other commodity. More than silver, gold, more than rubies, sapphires, emeralds, even diamonds. The most expensive find was a pearl. Why? The pearl divers, before the domestic pearl... They had to plunge to depths of up to and over a hundred feet. Holding their breath, they had no scuba diving equipment. They had no oxygen tanks. They had to, <gasps> and then hold their breath for two minutes as they plunged down to the murky bottom, groping around on the murky bottom, clutching, grasping, trying to find, ah, there, 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 maybe three oysters. They would come, push off, shove off the ocean floor, <gasps> come to the top, it was estimated it took finding about 10,000 oysters before they came across a gem quality pearl. That's why the pearl was the most valued, treasured thing in antiquity. Only kings and queens could afford. So Mr. Merchant Man, he's searching for the pearl of great price. I want you in your mind's eye. Use your imagination. He is searching afar. Mr. Merchant Man, he's traveling, traveling. I can see he comes down to a fashionable bazaar in Istanbul. And there he searches over the linen-laden tabletops. He looks at the silks. He looks at the gemstones and all their sparkling glory, and then he spots it. There it is, that pearl of great price. Instantaneously, he knows that's the one, that's the one I've got to get. He walks over to the grizzled cellar, and he starts clunking down something to barter for that pearl. He puts down rubies, sapphires, emeralds, diamonds, he empties out his bank account. Not enough, the seller says. He cashes out his Roth IRAs. He sells his millionaire mansion. He sells his yacht down in the Mediterranean Sea. He sells his fleet of cars. He sells everything that he has to secure that one pearl of great price. I don't know about you, but I'm wondering, scratching my head, what on earth could that pearl symbolize and represent to make it that valuable, to make me want to sell everything I have to secure it? I searched scriptures. I took a look at pearl in the Bible. Guess how many times the word pearl appears in the Old Testament? Zero. I kind of struck out there. New Testament, it appears nine times. And there's really no definitive, wow, this is what the pearl represents. But there are some clues, and 
I've discovered a double meaning, a double meaning of the pearl. Are you ready? Two things symbolized, represented by the pearl that should make us be willing to give up everything we have to secure it. First of all, the pearl symbolizes Christ. Christ. Picture that perfect pearl, perfect symmetry, pure white, glowing luster, free of any defects. What a fitting symbol of Christ and his perfect righteousness. When we look at the text, it says the merchant was seeking beautiful pearls. That word seeking is zeteo in the original language. It's the same word found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. That word seek, seek. Again, in these Old Testament, let's look at Isaiah chapter 55. I want you to see a couple other references. Now you go back to the Old Testament and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint we call it, here is another couple references that uses that word, that word zeteo to seek. To seek with all of your being. To do whatever it takes to secure it. That's what that word zeteo means. Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, Seek who? The Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God he will abundantly pardon. I love that picture of God. But here in this text the Bible is clear that that pearl that we should be seeking with all of our heart is none other than the Lord himself. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Then a cross-reference. A cross-reference is in Jeremiah, one book over, Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13. This is powerful too. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13. God says, and you will seek who? Seek me and find me when you search for me haphazardly <laughs> with all your heart. And I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity, etc. I hear God breathing to us this morning. My child, would you please seek me with all your heart? I am worthy of your attention. I'm worthy of your adoration. I'm worthy of your all. Would you please seek me? How can we best seek Jesus? What do you think? I think it's right here, don't you? Seek Jesus in his word. In Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, he's rumbling in his chariot. He's been in Jerusalem at the Passover Things have been third in his heart as he's seen that Passover lamb. He can't quite grasp the meaning of that. God's working on his heart and he cries out, Father, show me the meaning. God was so eager to answer that guy's prayer. Philip got snatched up out of Samaria and thrown 
600 miles out into the road leading to Gaza to answer that man's questions. And right there, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. Amen. In Acts chapter 17, there was a people group that searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things be so. I hear God telling us, people, my people, if ever there was a time to seek me and find me, it's right now in 2019. We're on the verge of eternity. Things are wrapping up on planet Earth. Please seek me. Everything is going to try to wash you downstream. Postmodernism and relativism and pluralism. Seek me. The media, the secular media is trying to distract you. Seek me. Keep your eyes on me. Amen. There's a guy by the name of Wang. He is kind of the Billy Graham of China, Leland Wang, the great revivalist of China. He once said, no Bible, no breakfast. Whoa. How many of you would rather uh, be willing to forego breakfast for the Bible reading? Don't raise your hands. That's how much God wants us to seek Him. I want to ask you something. How's your devotional life this morning? Don't talk out loud. <laughs> How's your devotional life this morning? How's it doing? I don't know about you, but I have to fight for mine. Since I've started as a professor at Southern Adventist University, I thought, man, that's going to be a pretty easy job. I get to go down there and teach uh, four classes a week, and uh, man, this is going to be a piece of cake. I didn't really say that. <laughs> Not. It's the busiest I've ever been in my life. Right, Judy? 12, 14-hour days, especially the first year or two, you're putting together all these scores and scores and scores of presentations and projects and grading papers and so forth. And I have to fight to spend that time with Jesus in the morning. And I have an agreement with the Lord. Lord, you know what I'm going through. You know what I'm going to face tomorrow. You wake me up tomorrow morning when I need to get up. And most of the time, it's really early. I'll tell you what God did for me the other morning. I woke up two weeks ago staring into the face of a new semester, five classes, and all these assignments I have, and I was simply overwhelmed. And a cross-reference, I'm reading in Ephesians 6, but I cross-reference 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, and it's a story about a combined army coming up surrounding Jerusalem. Moab, Ammon, Mount, uh, Mount Seir, and, and these hundreds of thousands of troops were surrounding Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat, the king, stared at the great multitude and he panicked. And he starts crying out to God, God, what do I do? I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know this, my eyes are on you. <laughs> that much I know, I've got that much straight, my eyes are on you, Lord. And God says there, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed. This battle is not yours, it's mine. And furthermore, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And as I was uh, trembling, 
looking into the face of the great multitude, all the assignments, God said to me, David, don't be afraid. I've got this. It's my battle. Trust me. Keep your eyes on me. I don't know what I would do without this. I would be overwhelmed and crushed by life. I have to start here. The busier I am, the more I need it. How's your devotional time? Are you starting here? One other thing that I think of when I think of the pearl being Jesus, finding him in the word. You know, we as Adventists are blessed with some great light. God has given us truths. The Sabbath, aren't you glad for the Sabbath? Hallelujah. One day where I can put aside all the assignments and not worry about all the stress. I live from week to week from my Sabbath. A proper understanding of death. Even a 2300-day prophecy, the sanctuary, a unique, distinctive doctrine of the Adventist church. What about the three angels' message? The message that will prepare planet Earth for the soon coming. I don't see any other denomination declaring that message. Folks, we are blessed, but I am worried that many of us, we take it for granted. Oh, that's old hash. I don't need to hear that again. October 18, there's going to be an evangelistic series. I don't even know who's preaching. But I promise you, it's going to be worth putting aside your other things to come here and to be present in this place when prophetic truth is broken. You need it. I need it. We need to be grounded for the times in which we live. And even if you've heard it umpteen hundred times before, it's going to be presented in a new light that will bless your heart. So don't take that for granted. Seek that pearl of great price. Be present. Be willing to give up your favorite TV show, your whatever, during that five-week, four-week block of time. Second thing represented by the pearl of great price. Are you ready? Number one, Jesus Christ. The second thing that's represented by the pearl of great price is lost sinners. Lost sinners. I love how Luke chapter 19, 10 puts it. Look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. We see a double seeking in this chapter. Zacchaeus is looking, seeking for Jesus, even climbs up a sycamore tree looking like a fool to find him. But we see a greater seeking. On his way to Calvary, Jesus takes time for this one lost sinner. Jesus seeks Zacchaeus. And in verse 10 of chapter 19, we see the mission of Christ. We see what it's all about, his one purpose in life. It says, Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man has come to do what? To seek and to save that which is lost. That word, zeteo. To do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, Father, I am going to find the lost because I care for them. I care for each and every one of them. Doesn't 2 Peter 3, 9 said he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. I'm thankful we have that kind of Savior, like the merchant man. Jesus didn't just throw silver and gold at us to purchase us. 
He didn't just conk down rubies, sapphires, emerald, diamonds to purchase us. According to 1 Peter chapter 1, 18, 19, he secured us with his precious blood. When it came to the purchase of humanity, Jesus was willing to do whatever it takes because that's how much he loves us. Praise God for that. I'm thankful for that kind of Savior that's willing to find us. Christ Object Lesson, page 117, says this about the twofold meaning. I love this. Listen to this. This is Ellen White's commentary on the Pearl of Great Price. And you're going to see both. What is the pearl? It's Christ. Yes, we should give up all to seek him. But it's this one lost planet. He gave up all to seek us. Christ Object Lessons 117. Christ, the heavenly merchant man, seeking goodly pearls, saw in lost humanity the pearl of great price. In man, defiled and ruined by sin, he saw the possibilities of redemption. Hearts that have been the battleground of the conflict with Satan and that have been rescued by the power of love are more precious to the Redeemer than are those who have never fallen. Now I want to ask you a question. We're at the price is right, okay? Behind one curtain over here, we have a beat up VW bug. Behind curtain number two, we have a Lamborghini, $430,000. Which curtain would you guys like to go for? The beat-up old VW Bug or the Lamborghini? Who will take the bug? <laughs> Some of you kids, hey, you're, you're glad for whatever you get. Who would take the Lamborghini? God says that hearts that have been the battleground of sin are of more value than those who have never fallen. He was willing to throw it all on Calvary's cross to purchase you and me. I think of the story. Well, before I get there, I just want to appeal to you. If Lost humanity is that valuable to Jesus. Should it be any less valuable to us? God woke Abraham up one morning. Abraham, uh, time to move. What, God? Yeah, we're, we're going to move. Where are we going? I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. He left everything. His Fortune 500 company, he headed up over the 1,200 mile fertile crescent to a place called Canaan. Why did God deposit Abraham in a place that far away? Because it was the crossroads of the nations, the caravan routes crisscrossed in Jerusalem. And God wanted unbelievers to know about his love. And then a few uh, hundred years later, whatever it was, God sent Daniel the opposite direction from Jerusalem through captivity all the way back to Babylon because God wanted a heathen king to know about the mercy of God. A heathen king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. 
And I don't believe it's by accident that God planted you in your neighborhood, in your workplace. He puts you in that circle of friends because there is somebody there that he wants to reach. How does the heavenly merchant man find people? Through his followers, through us. I want to close with a story. August 5, 2010, a mine collapsed in Chile, trapping 33 miners a half a mile beneath solid rock. They were down there in a little 20-foot by 30-foot chamber. 33 miners. They got a little acquainted down there. And time was of essence. They would have died. They would have all perished. But because an international community came together, not just the Chilean government, to do whatever it takes, they began drilling. A four-inch drill bit began to drill. Seventeen days later, it penetrated. How did they guide it? Half a mile through solid rock to a 30-foot chamber, I don't know. But it broke through. And as the drill bit was retracted, a little note tied to the end, we're all safe, we're here. That galvanized this community to come together even stronger. They calculated it would take about five months to get these guys out. They couldn't live that long. So they worked night and day around the clock. A 27-inch drill bit followed. And 69 days after this episode... It broke through. A human capsule went down. And at 9.20 on October 12, that first miner came up out of the bowels of the earth. And I sat there. I sat there glued to that flat screen. Florencio Alvaroz stepped out of that human capsule and his little, his little son, his little son Baron came running it was caught on the camera and daddy and son embrace and the tears get all mingled. And then Monica, the wife, comes running and tears get all mingled. I, was, I lost it. And we were all cheering as an international community because those miners were spared. Over the next 22 hours, every 45 minutes, another miner, another miner, until everyone came out. Why? Because a community vowed to do whatever it takes. Folks, as an Adventist people, we need to be a community that vows to do whatever it takes. The people here, right around us, East Brainerd, this neighborhood, this, that's in driving distance of these nightly meetings, God wants to use you to reach those people. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I have a quick suggestion, and I'm going to pass out a sheet. I only brought 70 copies. I didn't know you guys were this big a congregation. Hallelujah, y'all have grown. <laughs> so you figure it out who gets it. But uh, the, this is a 10 most wanted list. You may already have something like this, but I brought it. Fill out names, prayer burdens that God puts on your heart. Fill out this 10 most wanted list. Begin praying for those people. Then couple with that, befriending them, serving them through acts of kindness, and see what God can do. Use the three keys to the heart. I talked about it earlier this morning. Would you be willing 
Would you vow to do whatever it takes?